All right, welcome in Hot Grits Podcast, episode 127. I'm Travis Jadon, just me today. We're going to do things a little bit differently for today. We got an interview with Carl Damasi coming up. Um, and on the first half, I'll talk a little Braves, a little football, and then we'll get you guys to the interview. But first, Coach's Corner, our title sponsor here on the Hot Grits Podcast. Coach's Corner, the number one sports bar in Savannah, www.coaches.net, 3016 East Victory Drive, or call ahead your order, 912-352-2933. Check out the other shows on the Coach's Corner Sports Network. That's Rubbin' and Grubbin', the NASCAR show with Brandon Bain, 6 p.m. on Wednesday nights, right there on the Facebook page for Coach's Corner. Then you got Carl and Kyle Lawson doing Who is on First Base Baseball podcast. You can find that on Podbean, also on Carl's Facebook, as well as Coach's Corner's Facebook. And then, obviously, Carl on Saturday mornings as well. Check it out. Tell Coach's Corner that Hot Grits Podcast sent you. They will hook it up, the Monday through Friday lunch specials, and the perfect place for football this fall. All right, let's get after it for our 127th time Hot Grits Podcast. I mean, I've always kind of believed in aliens. I don't know if I believe in flying saucers. You might as well just walk up to Cupid while he's on his lunch break, you know, crank his heat or something, punch yeah. him right in the face, punch the little baby right in. <laughs> we'll see that. We're almost uh, three minutes into our sports podcast and yet to bring up not one sport. All right, welcome in episode 127. Hot Grits Podcast, just me, just Travis today on the episode. We'll have my interview with Carl Damasi coming up in just a second. Carl and I ripped it up for almost an hour, uh, mostly about high school football. Talked a little Savannah Bananas and their relationship with the city of Savannah and Grayson Stadium um, after winning a second straight CPL league title this past week. So our guy, Tyler Gillum, bringing a championship to Savannah as the Bananas wrapped another season in the city of Savannah, um, we, Carl and I talked about that a little bit, but mostly high school football. Um, and so I think you guys will enjoy that. Uh, even if you're not a high school football fan, some bigger picture stuff, talking about the stadiums on campus, talking about uh, Benedictine, talking about recruiting at the high school level, reclassification uh, at the Georgia High School Association. So a bunch of stuff. So stay tuned for that. But before I get you guys to that interview with Carl, um, let's talk a little Braves baseball. Not a great weekend. Not a great weekend in New York versus the Mets for the Bravos. But I don't think all is lost. And so while the Mets can hang their championship banner for winning four out of five in an August series in their home ballpark, um, they can hang the banner for that if they want. The Braves are still in a good spot. Um, they're 64 and 46 overall. Now they're probably, you know, the NL East not looking great. They're seven games back in the loss column there. Uh, as I record Monday night, they're off today, but you know, you still get the Marlins coming up. You get Boston for two games in Boston. Uh, the Braves should be able to handle the Red Sox and the Marlins over the next six games. So, you know, look, go four and two over these next six games. Then you welcome in the Mets to Atlanta to your place for a series next week. 
and you can reevaluate at that point. But to think that this, the season is in the gutter, or to think that the Braves aren't a World Series contender simply because of what happened in New York this weekend, I think would be a big mistake. So like I said, they're 64-46, and 46, the Braves are. 52 games left in the season. Uh, look, last year they were 55 and 55 at this point in time. 55 and 55. This year they're 18 games over 500 through 110 games. So I think what happened in New York, you know, it told you a couple of things. It did tell you that the Mets are legitimate World Series title contenders. They're 70 and 39. I mean, they're 30 games over 500. So I don't think it's anything to hang your head about, you know, that you lost the series to the Mets. What you have to do now is start to beat up on the rest of the NL East and hold on to that number one wild card spot. So right now the Braves are three and a half games clear in the wild card. They're above the Phillies, they're above the Padres. Uh, for the final two wild card spots, that's the Phillies and Padres right now. Right behind the Padres are the Brewers, and then the Giants are still in contention, but they're fading quickly. So it looks like three out of the four teams will make the wild card. It's the Braves, Phillies, Padres, Brewers. Three of those teams are going, and I think it's a reasonable thing to think that the Braves are going to be one of those three teams. It'll be important to hold on to that top wild card spot so you can welcome in whoever's behind you in the wild card to Atlanta instead of having to play on the road. But I don't think there's anything to panic about just yet. There are problems with the Braves, yes. But they were 55 and 55 at this point last season. Now they're 18 games over 500. This is a really good team. A really good team. Now look, they're not in the tier with the Dodgers. They're not in the tier. I think it's safe to say right now, they're not in the tier with the Mets. And they're probably not in the tier with the Yankees or the Astros. Outside of those four teams, two of those teams are in the American League, so you won't really have to worry about that. You know, I think that you can make a reasonable case the Braves are the third best team in the National League. And if you're the third best team in the National League this far into the season, you have a chance to win the World Series. And so if the Braves can start taking care of business against the NL East teams, maybe do better against the Mets when you welcome them into Atlanta, I think they'll be just fine. So looking forward now to Boston... You want to take at least one of these games, of these two in Boston, but the first one Tuesday, tonight, versus Rich Hill, I look for the Braves to come out and bounce back and get a win there because they're 25-12 and 12 against left-handers on the season. They're pretty good against left-handed pitching. So I think that you would expect them to beat Rich Hill in Boston. Nick Pavetta for Boston. The next night, the Braves will get Charlie Morton in Game 1 versus the Sox. And then Kyle Wright, game two, before they head to Miami to play versus the Marlins. The Braves against the NL East haven't been great. So we know about their struggles against the Mets. A lot of that on the road. But they're 25-21, and 21, the Braves are, against the NL East as a whole. That needs to get better, and you have a good chance to do that this weekend against Miami. So you take care of business there. And then, like I said, you welcome in the Mets next week. And, you know, you tip your cap if they beat your ass again the way they did in New York because they beat the Braves' ass in New York. It wasn't like the Braves went out and got, you know, beat four out of five against the Nationals. Francisco Lindor, eight hits 
in the series versus the Braves. Pete Alonso, eight hits. Jacob DeGrom, uh, you know, takes a perfect game into the sixth inning before Dansby hits a homer. C.B. Buckner, by the way, just brutal on Sunday afternoon against the Mets. That guy is the worst umpire in the league. Uh, I mean, it's brutal. At least he's consistently bad on both sides. But, man, that was tough to watch. And Jacob DeGrom did not need any help. C.B. Buckner was giving it to him nonetheless. That's a different issue for a different day, I suppose. But I think the Braves, 25-21 and 21 against the NL East, if they can improve on that and they'll have a lot of opportunity against the division here coming down the stretch, they'll be just fine. I think you get you win the number one wild card spot, you get yourself in the playoffs, and you see what happens because they are good enough to win these short series, especially against teams like the Phillies, Padres, Brewers, Cardinals, maybe not the Dodgers, maybe not the Mets, but you're not going to have to beat both of them, possibly. I mean, there's a chance that you go through the playoffs and you only have to beat the Mets or the Dodgers. Now, that might not shake out that way, but that's possible. It's not like you have to beat every single great team in order to make the World Series. We know that from what happened last year with the Braves. I mean, the Brewers were way better than the Braves at this point last season. And the Braves went out and took care of business against them in the National League Division Series. So while it looks like the NL East might be out of reach, the wild card certainly isn't. And in fact, it's in the Braves' hand. Let's hear what young, handsome Babe Ruth, Austin Riley, had to say after the Braves lost Sunday versus Jacob deGrom and the Mets. Move on. Off day tomorrow and get back to playing, you know, on Tuesday. Um, you know, obviously it wasn't, wasn't what we wanted, but, you know, it's baseball. At the end of the day, you got to flush it and move on. And, and, and like I said, look forward to getting back on Tuesday and, and, and you know, playing our game. Just to think about where you were at this point last year. You were 55 and 55. Yeah. How much season's left? Yeah, there's a lot. Like I said, there's, you know, obviously there's, you know, some frustration. And, and like I said, the way the week, the weekend went. Um, but, you know, I've said time and time again, this game's crazy. And, and um, you know, we, we got to continue to just play baseball and play our game and, and, and see where we're at at the end of this thing. Like I said, there's, there's still plenty of baseball. Big is that? I know you're just focused on Tuesday, but how big is it that the next two series you have against these guys are at home and you can get them in your place? Yeah, no, it is. I mean, I, you know, especially the way our fans bring it and and you know, the atmosphere that we that we bring. Um, you know, I, I'm looking forward to the next one. I, I really am. Like I said, it's they're they're a really good club, um, and it's gonna be it's gonna be fun down the road. When their fans did the tomahawk chop, did that bother you guys at all, or does that add? Actually? I didn't even see it to be honest. I, uh, so. So there's Austin Riley talking about moving on for the Atlanta Braves, moving on past the series loss against the Mets. Um, look, the Braves are 21-26 and 26 against teams that are over 500. That's not great. That's not great. But the next six games come against teams that are under 500. So go 4-2, and two, go 5-1 and one over these next six, and you're, you'll be 22, 23 games over 500, and you'll be just fine. What has not been just fine has been the downfall of one Marcel Ozuna. He's down to 215, 267, 392 slugging. 215, 267, 392. Alex Anthopoulos went out, got Robbie Grossman at the trade deadline. That was the outfield acquisition. Uh, not really anybody that's going to move the needle, but he's been solid so far as a platoon mate with Eddie Rosario, but I think that there's going to come a point in time, if this keeps up with Marcelo Zuna, 
that something's going to have to give here. I don't know that the Braves have a lot of other options as far as everyday guys. You're certainly not going, you know, to to keep Marcel Azuna on the bench six days a week. But playing him six days a week is now becoming more of a problem. And look, I was high on Azuna earlier in the year because he was, you know, the stats showed he was hitting the ball hard. Uh, he certainly wasn't slugging 392 at the time. It was much better than that. So you can live with the 220, 215 batting average if the ball's going out of the ballpark and if the hits are extra base hits. Right now, it's not, that's not the case in a 267 on base for an everyday player uh, who plays as a DH. A lot of the time, that's not going to cut it. So the Braves have to figure something out, likely something in-house. Um, but I, there's still a lot to like about the club. And I think that with Rossell Iglesias now at the back end of that bullpen, that was a great move, I thought, by Anthopoulos at the deadline to shore up that right-handed pitching out of the bullpen. Uh, Jake Odorizzi, I think he'll be okay. He wasn't great in his first outing, but again, that's against the Mets in New York. I don't know what will happen as far as Strider, Spencer Strider goes in the rotation. Will Odorizzi sort of take his spot every other time through? Will the Braves stay with the six-man rotation? We know that Ian Anderson was optioned, but he's actually still with the taxi squad. He's not going down to AAA until after the Braves' doubleheader on Saturday um, against the Marlins. So he'll pitch one of those two games against the Marlins, Ian Anderson will, and then he'll probably be sent back down to AAA. But I'd imagine he'd be up early September for sure when the rosters are expanded. You're going to get Ozzie Albies back soon. Two weeks, I would think. Two, three weeks out till Ozzie Albies comes back. Kirby Yates should be any day now. Um, and then, you know, you start to look at the short series in the playoffs and you say, well, the Braves match up well against these teams in a short series, in a three out of five, in a two out of three series. I like their, their chances, especially with the pitching at the top, you know, with Max Fried, with Spencer Strider, Kyle Wright, Chuck Morton. There's a lot to like about the Braves, even if the depth isn't, de- isn't there in the rotation yet. Even if the depth at the bottom of the lineup with guys like Ozuna struggling, there are still plenty, plenty of things to like about the Braves. So I don't think it's panic time yet. And if those stinking, nasty Mets fans, those deplorable Mets fans, if they want to go crazy and play the trumpet song for Edwin Diaz and call themselves the king of New York for winning a series at home against an NL East rival... Let them. Let them. They can do all the celebrating they want up in Queens right now or in Flushing, New York, where the Mets play. Because the fact is that they haven't won a World Series since 1986. They've only been to one. And they lost to the Royals when they went. You know, they can pretend like they're used to this or that they expected this kind of thing. The truth of the matter is that Mets fans, and probably the Mets in general aren't used to this. They're not used to playing well this late in the season. They're certainly not used to answering the call when a big series comes around. So if they want to celebrate, let them. Let them celebrate. Because in Atlanta, that's not the kind of thing that we do. That's not the kind of thing that we celebrate in Atlanta. The Braves, reigning World Series champs, have been here and done this before. 
In fact, their record shows they're a lot better this year than they were last year when they won the whole shebang. Hopefully, Braves fans will answer the call and respond in kind the way the Mets did with chopping it up. They did the tomahawk chop, chanting the whoa whenever they beat the Braves, and that's all fine and well. Let them have it. They can be the regular season champions of the world. Braves have bigger banners on the mind, and I think they're still in a good position. All right, let's get to an ad read and then to my interview with Carl Damasi. We will see you guys back in studio next week. Sorry for the sound quality, by the way, recording off the laptop. Uh, Episode 128 next week, so stay safe, wash your hands. Nah, just kidding. I can't do that. Here's an ad, then my interview with Carl Tomasi. The Prep Sports Report has been delivering local sports news one way or another for 20 plus years. Where can you find stories and information about the most outstanding student athletes in the Savannah area? PrepSportsReport.com. That's where. Led by our guy Carl Demasi and former area sports reporter Stephen Weeks, the Prep Sports Report is a reimagined website that wants to celebrate young men and women who are setting the high school sports standard in Savannah and surrounding areas. Go check out PrepSportsReport.com today. Go like Prep Sports Report on Facebook and follow them on Twitter at PrepSAV. PrepSportsReport.com, your number one source for local Savannah high school sports news. All right, we got Carl Demasi with us now. Carl's second time on Hawk Ritz podcast. We'll go one-on-one a little bit about local sports, high school football, um, and just chop it up a little bit since Spencer is out on the golf course today. Carl, thanks for coming on. Hey, anytime. Anytime you need me to fill in. I mean, uh, got to fill in for the great Spencer Maddox. I don't mind. What a life he leads, isn't it? He just, he just <laughs> travels the world playing golf. I still can't get him to caddy for me. But you know he, you know he's he's the golf master. He's the he's the uh, Billy Bar- uh, your team. So you know he's <laughs> he's going to expect you to caddy for him. Yeah, that is never going to happen. Um, I don't know if we're ever going to play in the Coach's Corner Golf Charity Golf Match. Uh, I think that would be right on that would be right on brand for us to talk all that smack, and then it never actually happens. You know, Carl, but. Uh, have you decided, are you going to play in that thing if we play? Hey, if, you know, they want me to join the uh, Atlanta man, Brandon Bain from uh, Rubbin' and Grubbin', I'd be more than happy to play. I mean, I'm a hacker, goes left, goes right, but I, I get you a putt on the green. Yeah, me too. Um, all right, <laughs> let's, um, let's, start, uh, let's start with some high school football since we're about to kick off the season. And, um, you know, I think all the listeners of our podcast know Prep Sports Report. Um, we're going to do the same thing that we did last year and, and have a recap Every weekend, a preview every week, so they know to go there for the high school football news. But we just had, you guys just had the media day with Optum Orthopedics. Um, and, you know, everyone knows they can find that on YouTube, the whole recording. I think it was 13 schools, Carl. Um, for me, it's always like I, you have to start and end right there at the top with Benedictine and Calvary. But there's a lot of other sort of storylines too. But do you think that the biggest one is the the classification changes and, and sort of what that will look like. For me, that's the most interesting part is seeing what Calvary, Savannah Christian, and Country Day will do in that 3A, you know, moving up two, two classes. Well, you know, it, you know, once again, Georgia High School had to do what they had to do. Uh, you know, 
the state came down on them. They wanted uh, less travel and uh, more proximity. But, uh, you know, in two years, this is all going to be gone. We're going to go to new reclassification uh, uh, regions. So it's just crazy. I mean, uh, yeah, it throws the Savannah, it throws the private schools in Savannah into the uh, class 3A classification. Do they belong there? I don't know. Once you get out of the region play, how, how can they do it in the playoffs? I mean, it's going to be pretty e- e- interesting. I mean, Calvary Day, Savannah Christian, Savannah Country Day, you know, the traveling was getting to them. So if they could stay close to home, it's going to be pretty interesting when you play with Johnson, Groves, and Beach. It's it's going to be a battle. Uh, you know, don't we throw Liberty and Long County in there? Yeah, also? yeah, that's right. So it's going to be a dogfight. Long County, very athletic football program proving. We know – you know, Liberty County on the Kurt Warner has been a perennial state playoff team. Now Tony Glenn's takes it over. So uh, it's going to be interesting. And I just think the reclassification for two years, I mean, Calvary, Country Day, and Christian keep the rivalries together. But, yeah, I mean, you split up uh, Savannah High, Windsor Forest, Johnson, Jenkins, Groves, New Hampstead, Islands, I mean, and Beach. I mean, you had to love it when the public schools teams were playing each other. But, you know, they could do it in non-region now, but I'd rather see it in region because then every game really means something. Yeah, I think I'm with you, too. And the interesting part is that we always, and for good reason, we talk about football. And then, I guess, you know, sort of secondary, we think about basketball. But then there's all the other little sports. And I say little. It's not little for the people that play them. But, I mean, smaller, uh, not primary sports, those people are still going to have to travel and do all that stuff, too. So, you know, that has to be considered. I've never really thought about that, though, that they reclassify every two years. Now that you bring that up, I mean, that does seem like it's not long enough. Like, we're going to have to go through the whole... It seemed like it was a year-long process this last time around, and now they're going to do it again in two years. I, I mean, do you have any guesses as to why they do that every two years? Is it just because they're scared the population is going to change that drastically, that quickly? Well, of course, school enrollments always change, and that's why they do it, because there are some schools that are on the borderline. I mean, uh, take Richmond Hill. They're on a borderline of 7A where they should really be in 6A. Yeah. Or should they be in 6A? So, you know, it's going to change every two years. But what gets me now is, like I told you, um, the legislature, people, parents uh, complaining about what's going on. We have seven classifications. We have different championships. Well, now we're going to – in two years – Georgia High School State Association already said it. They're going to go to six classifications. So to get the uh, the, the closeness, the, the geography closer for all these teams. So it's just crazy. I mean, I just like the old format. I don't know how they're going to classify it by numbers. It's going to be pretty interesting. But it's going to change after two years. So these these two years, yeah, we get to see what Savannah Christian Calvary and uh, and uh, Country Day can do. 3A big boys. You know, Benedictine still staying at 4A. New Hampshire stay in a 4A. They could have been, been, you know, I think they missed 5A by like three people where Jenkins had to move up, Richmond Hill had to move up. So, you know, take Savannah High. Savannah High is moving to single A. Who would ever think that, uh, you know, with Bryant County? And then Windsor Forest goes to 2A because of the enrollment. So it's just a crazy scenario. It's going to be based on, of course, your uh, FTE count, your uh, enrollment count. So it's going to change in two years. But let's enjoy the years and see what happens see if calvary christian can play with the big boys benedictine stayed in 4a you know they're the perennial team in this area but the key point that you stressed before i started rambling about next 
in two years, it's going to be six classifications, is the, the, the other sports, the sports that have to play three times a week, like basketball and baseball. Uh, even lacrosse goes two days a week. Soccer goes two days a week. I mean, tennis, golf, track. I mean, this is crazy. You know what the amount of traveling these kids are going to make? I mean, you go from the north part of the state to the south part of the state. You're going from the west coast to the east coast. I mean, it, you know, as John Nelson would say from uh, G Georgia Public Broadcasting, you western frontier to the eastern frontier, back and forth, and you go from the north coast to the south coast. It's just crazy. It's just crazy. Yeah, it's wild. And that is true. Savannah High going to single A is kind of nuts to think about how big that brand was, especially on the basketball court, just not, you know, nine, 10 years ago, um, let alone 30 years ago, 40 years ago when they were winning state titles left and right. Um, so, okay. Uh, I wanted to ask you about the, cause you used to do your show, um, on Saturday mornings and Wednesday nights, you, you used to have Chad Griffin on there, the coach in the AD. And I know that Chad was sort of my go-to guy when I wanted to know, stuff about uh, GHSA or kind of reclass and, and that kind of stuff because he was like an encyclopedia about it um, and the process for how it all works. I remember that the private schools were, a lot of them were considering a move to Giza or a move out of GHSA. But, you know, it seems like the big boy private schools, especially down here in South Georgia, refrained from doing that. Do you think that like Calvary and Savannah Christian, were they actually that close to leaving GHSA? Because I find that hard to believe. I mean, they were contemplating it. There's no doubt about it. They were contemplating it. You know, you know, it's not, you know, it's called the Georgia Independent Schools Association. Now, this year, for some reason, it's the Georgia Independent Athletic Association, which falls under the GISA. I think 20 schools left for that. So, uh, you know, it's pretty interesting. Uh, I mean, Calvary, Coach Christian, Coach Day. I think they wanted to stay together. I think if one or two of them said they were going to go to the GIAA or the Georgia I, G, GISA, uh, they would have went. But I think they want to stay together because the rivalries and the uh, the crowds, the uh, the traditions that go on between these three schools, I, I think they would have went wherever majority of would, would have went. I think Country Day was watching what Calvary and Christian were going to do. And, you know, that's that's what happened. So um, it's, it's just tough because – you know, a lot of the schools outside of Metro Atlanta area, especially the uh, small public schools, uh, were complaining that every time they get to a championship, they'd have to play one of those schools in the Atlanta area. And that was the biggest battle, if you ask me, that I've been following over the last four or five yeah. years is that, you know, the outskirt schools want to win a championship, but then they have to play the private schools that come from Atlanta. And there was always no contest. So, you know, not no contest, but it was always a clean sweep or, uh, you know, five private schools would win to two public schools. So, you know, that's what it all came about with. And that's the big push of reclassification, trying to get teams to play in the same uh, association. I mean, back where I come from, we had private school. We had public school. They would play the whole season. They'd get to their championship. They'd have a champion. And then the private and the public schools would get together and we would call it the Federation Cup to crown the champion. But down here, it's never going to happen that way. It's always going to be, uh, you know, one one winner in one classification. And it, I mean, it's never going to make anybody happy. It's never going to make everybody happy. Yeah. I mean, there's no way to fix it completely. But that it no. that, is, that has been a problem in the past for basically every sport where it seems like there is one team at the top that's a sure thing to win the state title 
at the beginning of the season, and then they win the championship game. Like it happens in soccer a lot, where a team will have a much di- much more difficult time in their own city as opposed to like at the state level because they're playing a class that's probably not where they should be. Um, all right, but let's let's move off of that, and let, I guess we'll start with Calvary. Do you and you're pretty close with the program. Obviously, we've had Russell. Your son on before, and he's the new OC over there um, running the Calgary Day Athletic Academy. Uh, you were out, I believe, at the Vidalia scrimmage game Calgary football had, uh, let's see, last Friday now. Do you think that how, I guess, how worried or how concerned are Mark Stroud and those guys about the move up to Class 3A? Um, like, how big, of, how big of a jump do you think that's going to be for them this year? Because they're loaded Obviously, in Class A, they would be a preseason favorite. I think in 3A, they're still a preseason contender in a lot of people's eyes, but maybe not in that upper echelon because of the move up. Do you think that Calvary is concerned about that at all? I think the only thing Calvary is concerned in is who they're going to play the following week. Mark Stroud doesn't look down the road. He's not looking at state championship. He takes one game at a time. 31 years under his belt. And we saw him at the uh, Optum Orthopedics Prep Sports Sport Football Media Day. Uh, and, you know, he talked about one game at a time, playing as a team. Don't worry who's scoring touchdowns. Don't worry who's uh, making 20 tackles a game. You know, it's a different it's a different mentality over there at Cowie Day School. And maybe someday, hopefully, before Mark retires, he gets that state championship. But he's got a very talented team. But he's moving up to classification. So, is that dream going to happen this year? I don't know. But with Calvary, it's one game at a time. And going to that scrimmage last Friday night, you know, support my son, of course. Vidalia, Jason Cameron came home, did the right thing. Their offense kept Calvary's defense off the field. And if you can keep Calvary's offense off the field, you've got a shot at beating them. I really believe so. Uh, I mean, Vidalia could have scored two or three times, but, you know, the defense, the Cavalier defense, finally rose up inside the uh, inside the red zone. But I'm telling you right now, Calvary didn't have many uh, series against Vidalia, and that was key to that whole game. I know they only played three quarters of varsity, one quarter JV, but I'm talking about the three quarters of varsity. I mean, Calvary's a threat on every play. But keep them off the field, hey, you know what? You're doing a great job. And I mean, you said it. They got a, a, a load of talent with, you know, Jake Merkling, uh, A.J. Butts, who I think – People, you know, Johnson took off to uh, IMG. I think Butts is going to surprise a lot of people. I think you're not going to lose much there. And, uh, you know, it's just there's only one senior on the offense, too. That's the scary part. Now, it's a young defensive crew. Mark Stroud bringing Donald Chumley, who's a defensive wizard forever long he's been coaching, whether it's a BC, whether it's Christian, whether it's South Effingham. So once that defense starts to gel, I think you're going to have to worry about that juggernaut. But right now... The best offense or the best defense is to keep Calvary's offense off the field. I completely forgot that Donald – so Donald Chumley, is he the defensive coordinator over there? No, he's helping uh, Justin Fields. Justin Fields went to Calvary, yeah. uh, played at Georgia, went on and coached at Marshall. He's working with Justin. I'm telling you right now, Justin Field. yeah, I mean, this kid's, this kid's got a defensive mind. So, you know, he's got two young guys running the offense and defense, and he's got veterans like himself – and, uh, of course, Russell DeMoss, uh, veterans like Mark Brown and Donald Chumley, you know, giving their input. So it's going to be really interesting. It's probably one of the best coaching staffs in the That's city. what I'm thinking, man, out loud, because that, that is a loaded roster. But the coaching staff 
is equally as loaded, I guess. I mean, I remember Fields, he played on the defenses with uh, DeMarcus Dobbs, yep. um, you know, in the er, was it early 2010s or late, late 2000s, yeah. I think, in that range. Um, yeah, so that's they got a lot going for him. The Donovan Johnson transfer, the freshman that's probably, you know, on a path to being a five-star running back recruit, it's wild to think that Calvary has produced two IMG products in the last – Five, five-ish, six-ish years uh, with Nolan Smith as well, um, because right. we don't really think about Calvary in that way. But maybe it's time, you know, we start thinking about him that way. Um, okay, so we checked off Calvary. I guess we need to go to Benedictine. Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go just Calvary. I would say Savannah talent. People are noticing the talent football wise. Yeah. You, know, you know, you've been here, you born here, you raised. You know, Savannah's known as a basketball town, but I'm telling you. Our football talent is starting to rise to the occasion. And it's not just Calvary, Savannah Christian, they're getting guys, they're getting guys from, uh, uh, you know, all over the place. So it's not just uh, Calvary. I think it's the Savannah talent that IMG has an eye on. Yeah, you're right. And uh, do people, I'm sure people ask you this the way that they ask me. I, I hear a lot of times people will be like, man, it seems like, the, you know, in the last few years, there's a lot more college football guys coming out of Savannah and they'll ask me, why, why do I think that is? And so I guess I'll ask you, it, it, does it just feel that way? Or is that really the case that more guys are signing to college football programs? And if so, why, like, why do you think that is? Cause I, I mean, I have a few guesses, but I don't really know that I can pin down why it's like the last five or six years has been more than, you know, seemingly any time before. I think it goes to the old adage, you know, I'm an old school guy, bigger, faster, stronger. Our kids are bigger. Our kids are faster. Our kids are stronger. They're getting more into the off-season weight training programs or or professional trainers. So they're, they're getting the tools they need to get to that next level before waiting to get to a high school coach, a good high school coach like Mark Stroud or Donald Chumley or Danny Britt or John Mooring at Country Day or, uh, I mean, uh, you name it. I mean, they're they just getting Kyle Hockman at New Hampshire. Yeah. Uh, if the coach is still listening, I, this is off the top of my head. I'm not disrespecting anybody. But the coaching, as Mark Stroud, Stroud said, he's been around 31 years coaching this area. I've been here for 25 years. The coaching has become a lot better. And the, I guess you want to say the, the, the specialty or the concentration on getting a professional trainer or getting bigger, faster, stronger, and quicker makes a big difference for these kids. And you, you see a lot of it. Yeah. And do you th- I guess, yeah, I mean, I agree that it's the coaching, but I also think that, like, there's clearly been more of an investment from the Savannah-Chatham County public schools, if, if not in the salaries, at least. There's been more of an investment, at, at the very least, in terms of stadiums, because I know you're over there at Islands, and, you know, although it's not Islands High School Stadium, it's right next to the campus of Islands High School, and I know that that's been a big deal for Islands High School, Savannah High now has one. Jenkins has the brand new $5 million uh, turf field and on its brand new campus. Um, and I think, is Garden City Stadium, is that, are there plans to redo that somehow? Oh yeah, grow, yeah right, right behind Groves, the new Groves High School, there'll be another brand new stadium, just like the one at Savannah High and Islands. Uh, you know, first of all, the reason why I feel Savannah Chatham County Public Schools has invested in the new stadiums is because we were shorthanded. We didn't have any stadiums on our 
campuses. Yeah. So we were going to Memorial Day School. We were going to Pooler. Uh, we were going to where we Garden City. And it so happens that sometimes these teams were second fiddle. You know, BC would jump on Memorial Stadium and uh, Savannah Christian would jump on Pooler. And of course, Calvary had their own. But we had a finagle using these. And, you know, they were playing on Thursday, Friday and Saturday nights. And, you know, they, they were trying to make it more consistent. Plus, like you said, with these new stadiums, you might get to keep the kids that are leaving middle school, public school, middle schools to go to private schools. You know, you see these brand new facilities and you see kids uh, going to these big time colleges out of Chatham County public schools. I mean, you know, the kids are going to stay. And that might be a, uh, something that was in the back of their mind also downtown. So but, yeah, you try to keep the kids to stay in public schools and to build those programs. And the coaching has gotten a lot better in the public schools. Uh, it's more intense and uh you know, it's not, you know, you're not going to walk over anybody anymore because you got talent on every team. Yeah, and I agree. And I think one thing that people like, I think most people would agree that the private school football here as a whole is better than the public school football on a whole. Not now, that's not always true. And every year is different. But maybe that's because there's so many public schools here in town that that talent is spread out because there is talent on every roster on Groves, on Johnson, on Beach, Savannah High, Windsor, Jenkins. Those teams have talent, and if you know, if New Hampshire and Islands don't come around, all of those other schools now have even more talent, um, and they could compete with those private schools, I think, too. But the fact that they're going to have stadiums on campus now is so huge because, man, if you were a Savannah High football player before now, you were you were practicing basically in a field at the school and, <laughs> yeah. and now you're practicing like on the exact opposite. You're practicing on a premier surface essentially. And every day that takes a toll on kids. Like have the mindset of walking out onto a brand new field every day. Uh, I mean, you just have to feel a little bit more confident every day. And I know that that's probably the case for Deshaun Printup and islands. And for you guys over there, since, since they've had the new stadium. Well, take a look at the uh, teams outside of Chatham County. Effingham, South Effingham, Richmond Hill, they are all turfing their stadiums. Because you realize it, if you look at Calvary, Country Day, and Christian, you see kids from Richmond Hill. You see kids from Effingham County, South Effingham going to these schools also. So everybody's trying to make their facility bigger and better. Weight rooms are getting redone. Uh, Top-notch weight rooms. So, yeah, you're trying to sell your program to a kid. Uh, and, you know, of course, Georgia High School frowns about public schools doing that. You know, private schools can sell the whole program, but public schools can, can't sell anything. So, you know, there's always going to be that battle. And I'm not taking anything away from private school. I'm not taking anything away from public school. But there's always going to be that battle. Where is my kid going to be in the better situation to get to the next level? Yeah, and the difference between the private schools and public schools, like the way the GHSA deals with them, we could do a whole podcast on that probably if we wanted to. All right, well, we've talked high school football for like 15 minutes already, and we haven't really talked BC, and they're the reigning state champions um, in Class 4A last season, uh, and they're back in 4A again this season. Seems like Danny Britt just reloads talent all across that roster. They're doing a similar thing that they did last year in terms of two out-of-state games that I think nobody would be surprised that they lost both of those games. And then also, I don't think anybody would be surprised if they won every other game. They're playing uh, Christopher Columbus in Miami. That's the largest private school in the state of Florida. Um, they're playing Bowles High School, which is Chipper Jones's 
former high school. I think Tim Tebow went there as well. So that is another out-of-state Florida team that they're playing. Um, I, I think most people know about the the talent on the field for Benedictine, but quickly, Carl, do you think that this is the kind of thing Danny Britt envisioned when he took over at Benedictine, like having these kinds of schedules, these kinds of players, like holding Gurner going to Auburn is a huge, huge deal because that's a power five quarterback from the city of Savannah that we haven't had, you know, basically in, in the modern era, period. And now it seems like they got Luke Cromenhawk back, who's on his way to Florida State um, in two years. It just seems like, the, man, they've taken the next step, even above those two teams that won state titles early in Britt's career. It seems like the last two or three years, it's, it's even gone to another level. Well, you know the baseball saying, and I know it's going to happen Thursday night in Major League Baseball, you build it, they will come, feel the dreams. Well, Danny, Danny Britt has built the program, and they will come because – Everybody in Savannah sees where these kids are going. They see how successful Benedictine is. And it's not, it just didn't happen overnight. Danny Britt really, really sold that program. When he came in, that program was at the bottom. And uh, like I said at the media day, I remember that last game at Groves High School where, where they kicked the field goal to make it to the playoffs. And that was where it all started. Yeah. And then he goes on and wins three state championships. You know, this is a storybook football program that had never won a state title in football until Danny Britt got there. So, you know, if you build it, they're going to come. And that's what Danny Britt, he's built it. The kids want to go there. Of course, he's got to sell his program. He's got to sell the school. And it's just taken off. And, you know, uh, you know, they get the parochial private school kids like, you know, uh, Luke Cromenhawk. So it, it's definitely um, – it's definitely a diamond here in Savannah, Georgia, as far as football programs go. It's, it's at the top. They're on a roll. I mean, what more do you want to say? And it, you know, two years ago, three years ago, Danny Britt had to work his butt off to fill out a schedule. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, during COVID-19, he had to work his butt off. He had to go. They were the road warriors. But you know what? That made that program better. He said, I'm going to get these kids on the field every Friday night, no matter who we play, whether they're. 20 times better than us, or we're better than them, we're going to go out there and get those games. And, you know, here you go, Columbus out of Miami, Florida. Two years ago, state champion. Last year, up. BC plays them, uh, you know, beats them, and it goes on to win the state title. Then you got Westminster. You got Ware County. You got Bowles. I mean, that's their non-region schedule before they get into the regular schedule. And then they, they'll – oh, don't forget, they also got Bacons, which Tony Welch has like 150 kids out yeah. there. So, I mean, <laughs> you know, their five non-region games are pretty tough. I, I think Jenkins is going to surprise a lot of people too because they got some bulldogs, some dogs on defense that are going to make people really, really nervous. Tony Welch said his offensive line is where they got to work. It's young. But I'm telling you right now, uh, Danny Britt – he, he knows how to schedule games. And like he said at the, the media day, hey, they might go two and three. It's not going to be acceptable at Benedictine. But going at two and three will prepare them for their region run and then, of course, for the state playoffs. It's almost like, and listening to Danny talk at that media day, it's almost like he kind of wants them. I know this isn't true, but it's like he kind of wants them to suffer a setback or, or start slow so he can do what he did last year and basically spend all week. I, when they lost to Buford last year, in week two, I think it was week two or three. They, week two. Okay, yeah. And so they were 0 and 2, and he spent all week basically taking any any interview he could with Dennis Knight at the morning news, with Christian Gokel, ESPN Coastal, 
uh, you know, all like all week he he's doing whatever he can to rip his team and to say how disappointed he was in them and to say, you know, how he he wasn't even sure. I think he said last year he goes, you know, I'm not I'm not sure how good we are. You know, and he knew how good they were, but it's like that kind of thing is what separates him from, I think, a lot of the coaches in this area. He relishes that opportunity to tell his team, you know, the things that they have to get better at. And they certainly responded, uh, you know, last season with that state title. Uh, so, so Danny Britt has three, right? Three state titles now? Yep. yep. Three state titles. And that's incredible, really. I'm sure that he's had chances and phone calls that I don't know if he's answered, but people reaching out to him about other head coaching jobs or even higher level jobs as an assistant. And, you know, he's managed or BC has managed to keep him there. And now it seems like, man, they have a really, really good thing going. Um, and I guess, but, but just to add to your point, he might've been ripping his kids apart. He might've been getting into their heads. But if you ever hear, if you listen to his interview and he said, Part of the blame is me. Yep. Part of the blame is my coaching staff. We got to prepare these kids better. So besides getting the kids' heads in the right place, he was also working on his coaching staff too and himself to make himself a better coach and his coaching staff to be better. So his boys, it's also his coaching staff. And he's, he's, he's um, 24-7 when football season starts. He's not going to stop. And, you know, this is, you know, to be the best, you got to play the best. To be the best, you got to beat the best, and that's his philosophy now. And he's not—he's not shying away from it. Yeah, and look, they have a lot of wins to show for it. That's for sure, and, and three oh, yeah. state championship rings too. And you know, we were talking about coaching staffs. They've had a really, really, really uh, continuous coaching staff in terms of like being able to keep the same sort of figureheads. Like the lower level assistants, there's change there. You know, like there is at every school. But for the most part, the defensive leaders and the offensive leaders on that staff have been there for several seasons now. And I think that also helps getting kids to come um, over there, too. Uh, it is interesting to think that Benedictine is, is that big of a brand. And make no mistake, they are probably one of the biggest football brands in South Georgia, period. Um, I, I think certainly in the Savannah area. It is interesting to think that they don't have a, a stadium on their campus, I mean, Memorial Stadium is half a mile from them. But, you know, before that, they played at Savannah State. I know they had the new practice field back there um, on the back of their campus by the baseball field. Um, but that, that's interesting to think, too, that it doesn't seem to have hurt them any. Oh, don't believe me. They, they got a plan to make that. I mean, it's turfed. It's got the top turf, just like Calvary Day School. They plan on making that a stadium back there. They got so much land back there. They just, you know, they got to get the funds. But Benedict team will have their own stadium on their own campus, I say, within the next five years. And that's what they're working towards. I mean, they refurbished that whole practice uh, facility, brand new turf, just like uh, Calvary did with the turf that's like playing, uh, you know, at uh, Gillette Stadium where the, where the Patriots play. So they, they got plans in the, in the working. And I'll just jump back quickly to the coaching yeah. staff. The coaching staff are former Benedictine military cadets. They are former college players, and they preach the brotherhood. And I think that's what these kids are learning, that you stick together, you have your brother's back, and you're going to succeed. So that's another key thing that Danny Britt has done is brought on some of the alumni that play there and know what BC is all about. Yeah, yeah. And, and look, they do a good job, too, of getting, getting their message out 
in terms of in the media and in the public, you don't really have to look around and search for uh, Benedictine football news, updates, schedule, time, nope. place, players. All of that is readily available, um, and that goes yep. a long way too. Um, all right, let's talk a little pro- uh, public school quickly, Carl. Oh, just so you know, on their trip to Columbus to play Columbus, uh, you know, Christopher Columbus in Miami, Wednesday night in Tampa, they're going to have a BC uh, alumni get-together. Then in Miami, they're going to have another BC alumni get-together. They're all over the place, whether you're in Georgia or Florida. <laughs> That's crazy. That's crazy. Yep. The, those players get to experience. I know Danny said this. They, they get to experience kind of what a college – trip would be like but even that that's a little bit more than that that's oh yeah two or three days ahead of time that you're already making that trip down there um all right let's talk public school carl every every year it seems like we we get one team that is uh you know like that we've been waiting for the last few years so every team kind of has that moment that season where you know they're really senior laden or they've you know, they were young the last two years and they kind of bided their time. We saw that in basketball with, with Groves and Windsor and, and even early on with you at, at Islands um, where you kind of build towards a certain year. And this year, I don't know really where to start it in the public school. I think Jenkins has the most talent on their roster. They probably have, they definitely have the most players on their roster, but the most talent probably, maybe New Hampshire. But I do think that the surprising team um, or, or the team that kind of fits the bill of what I was just describing might be Johnson this year. Um, if they can figure out what they're going to do at quarterback, they seem to have two really good running backs, um, at least two good offensive linemen, and a, you know, enough talent on defense. Is there anything public school-wise that sticks out to you? Like when you think public school this year, football, are you thinking Jenkins or what? I'm thinking. I'm, I mean, I'm gonna go. My my top team, year in and year out, till somebody knocks them off and shows us they got more talent and they're better than them. Is of course New Hampshire with Kyle yeah. Hoffman. Uh, it's the most athletic team. Uh, he always puts a product out there that's going to be in a ball game. They bought into a system now. What's this? His fourth year, fifth year there. I think this is his fourth season. Yeah. So you know he's laid down the foundation. The first two years we've seen that they can play with teams. And I think he's going to get them over the hump. So, of course, I'm going to be looking at New Hampshire. Then, of course, Tony Welch comes in. Uh, he's cleaning up the house. He's got so many kids out there. They're excited. They want to be there. You know, and, uh, you know, that, that's what's so great about it is that these kids want to be there. When you have over 115 kids out at your football practice in Savannah, Georgia, in a public school, you're doing something right. And, uh, I mean, he, he's just done, done a great job. And uh, he's got the talent. He's got a running back. He's got the defense. Now we got to see what he's going to do with that offensive line. That's the key for, uh, you know, for uh, Jenkins High School. Then, of course, you said it. We're looking at, uh, you know, Kendrick Bonner. Uh, what's this, his sixth, seventh year? Yeah, that sounds right. I mean, he, he's been there for over five years now, for sure. So, and he's late. He's, he's, you know, when I first met him, Coach, we're going to change the culture here. And they have changed the culture. And they got so much talent this year, especially at the running back. I mean, you got Dowdy and the other kid. Uh, I can't think of his name off the top of my head. Who's the other running back? Where? At, at Johnson? At Johnson. Did you already say Dowdy? I said Dowdy, yeah. Um, I don't know. I'll look his name up real quick on Prep Sports Report. So, right. So, I mean, uh, our, our, what is it? Uh, I, 
a Marion Scott. Yeah, yeah. I mean, right. so you know, you got two running backs, and they're so athletic at the skilled positions. You know, you, you got to worry about that. So, out of the public schools, uh, that would be my top three teams. But you know, Jeb Stewart gets a lot of talent over there at Windsor Forest. They'll be in a running, a running. You know, and I think what's going to benefit Savannah High and um, Savannah High and uh, Windsor Forest. They're, they're going into the right classification because of their class size. Of course, we're going to miss the rivalries and all that other stuff. I mean, Groves, believe it or not, I mean, they got to go in that 3A with Johnson and Beach. I mean, so I got to go with my top three or four would be New Hampshire, Jenkins, Johnson, and uh, Windsor Forest. Okay. And then we're going to see what Savannah High can do in, th- in 1A. We're going to see what uh, Windsor Forest can do in 2A. And of course, Groves, I mean, Beach, don't get me wrong, Michael, you got a great to- coach over there, Michael Thompson. You know, he, he had to change the culture over there last year. Is this the year they, they turn it around? That's going to be the question. Yeah, I forgot about Thompson, too. He won, uh, what, a thousand state championships at Memorial Day before? Yeah, yeah football and basketball. Yeah, yeah. So, so he's no stranger to winning either. Um, and we previewed, we previewed uh, the beach quarterback who was, you know, who, who was, uh, you know, the young kid last year. He turned heads. I mean, uh, so – I mean, so it's going to be pretty, pretty interesting with what goes, goes on over there. They always have a talented running back, too, to come out of that backfield. So it's going to be interesting. Yeah, it'll be fun to watch. Um, okay, anything else high school football that you think we need to discuss, Carl? I wanted to quickly touch on the Savannah Bananas, if we could. Yeah, I mean, high school football, you know, uh, the big games. I mean, uh, you know, th- that opening week, you got Jenkins at, uh, you know, the 18th and 19th. You got Jenkins at Benedictine, Effingham County at Richmond, Calvary at Islands. Uh, you got May River coming in to take on New Hampshire at uh, New Hampshire. So that, that opening night is going to be a big one here in the Savannah area. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that opening night. And then, of course, you go uh, two weeks later, Libby County and Brand will get to play each other. Uh, so and Benedictine will be in Miami. So there's a lot of good games every week with high school football in this area, and that's what I'm excited about. Yeah, and a lot of good, good players, too. Because, I mean, look, we can talk about the teams and stuff all we want. People who aren't invested or, or involved in high school football, they will come out in the same way they come out for basketball. They'll come out to see players, individual players, if they're good enough. And a lot of these guys are playing on Saturdays, you know, a year after they leave Savannah. So plenty, plenty mm-hmm. of good stuff to watch. A Desmond, I don't want to disrespect the young man from Beach, Desmond Brissett. Yeah. We got Jeremiah James, and we got Zayden Edwards. I know, uh, you know, Dennis came up with his five top. We came up with eight kids at that quarterback position, which I feel has got the most talented uh, amount of plays this year. So we'll see what happens with that. Yeah, too. a lot of good quarterbacks in the area. I mean, like, you can start with the, the two really, really good ones, Merklinger and Cromenhawk, but then Paulie Seeley also going to be playing on Saturdays. Yep. Um, and like you said, Jeremiah James at Jenkins, Zayden Edwards, Desmond Burchett at uh, Beach, Paulus Zittrauer at Savannah Christian. So a lot of good quarterbacks. All right, let's talk John Carr, the number one realtor in the world and a good sponsor of ours here on the Hawker Ritz podcast. John Carr Realtor at Seaport Real Estate, your guy if you're buying or selling real estate in the Savannah market. Call or text him today, 912-228-0916. That's 912-228-0916. Like I said, if you're buying real estate, if you're selling real estate, if you just want to learn more about the market, John is your guy born and raised here and knows this area 
like the back of his hand. Uh, he wins Realtor of the Month at Seaport every month, it seems like, and for good reason. He is selling real estate, folks. So call or text him today and tell him Hot Grits sent you. 912-228-0916 or Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, John Card, the number one realtor and a good sponsor here on the Hot Grits Podcast. Savannah's premier indoor baseball training facility, SBPA is owned and operated by Ross Howard, and together with instructors who have played college and professional baseball, Ross and SBPA offer customized instruction year-round for baseball and softball players, full-length batting cages, pitching mounds, and a state-of-the-art technology to measure improvement are just a few of the highlights over at the Academy. Call Ross at 912-484-5282 and visit the Savannah Baseball Performance Academy on Facebook for programs, teams, camps, and more information about how to take advantage of this great venue. Savannah's only year-round indoor baseball facility, Ross Howard, our guy, Give them a call, 912-484-5282. Um, all right, let's shift gears before we let you go, Carl. Appreciate you taking so much time with us. Um, Savannah Bananas just won their second straight Coastal Plain League title um, under head coach Tyler Gillum, their third since moving here in 2016, or since starting the franchise in 2016. Uh, I, I think... I've said this in the past, you know, I have been, I'm not shocked anymore, but I have, I, I'm so surprised at how successful the on-field product has been at Grayson Stadium um, under the bananas. Because when they come here, you know, there's a lot of people, including myself, that were bitter about the way the city handled the Sand Nats leaving kind of the... You know, it's not our fault. It's their fault for wanting money, that kind of attitude. And then the bananas come in and it's like it's a completely different show in terms of not really investing in the baseball side of it at first, at least. It it was more of the marketing ploy and the yellow jerseys and the team mascot and all the antics that go on. But the fact is that they've brought two titles in the last two years back to the city of Savannah and if Savannah wants or asks for anything, it's to bring us a winner. And that's exactly what they have done. I sometimes worry, though, Carl, and I wrote about this this week for Connect Savannah. I wonder how long the Bananas will need Savannah in the way that Savannah needs them. Like, it does seem like the Bananas can go anywhere and sell out at any time. Uh, you know, and play any kind of baseball, regular rules or not, it seems like they're almost bulletproof. And I wonder how long that they're going to be okay with kind of dealing with, for lack of a better term, Grayson Stadium. Does that make sense? Uh, first, make of all, sense? First, 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 first of all, first, first, first of all, I'm going to, I'm going to, it's their third championship. Okay. The first year in 2016, when we were taking the abuse by naming the team the Bananas, and by doing what they were doing, Savannah traditionalists didn't like the whole shtick. Yeah. But they put together some great talent that first year, and they won the 2016 Pettit Cup in their first year. So, you know what? As, as Tyler Gillum said, yes, we can dance, but we also are a damn good baseball team. And every time, every year, 
they put on now this is during the coastal plain league season. They get the best college kids, if you ask me, or top quality college kids to come in. Of course, every college kid wants to go to the Cape League up there in New England by your uh, dreaded Boston Red Sox area. But we'll, we'll go into that later on. Uh, uh, you know, they've always put a talented team between the lines. And Tyler Gillum, you know, fourth year, flip the switch. No one you got to entertain. No one you got to play baseball. He's got to gel in between the lines. Now, outside the lines, you got a mastermind. You got Jesse Cole. And then, of course, you got his assistants, Emily Cole and Jared Orton. They're always coming up with a, uh, not a gimmick, but some kind of entertainment that's going to make it fun to be at that ballpark. That ballpark needed this, okay? Yes, I mean, I'm going to say it right here, and I don't I don't really care if I hurt some feelings with the Savannah, city of Savannah. The discrepancy on how they treat this team is unbelievable. This team has put Savannah on the map, I think, bigger than their tourism. Yeah. Because you can go anywhere and you'll see a bananas t-shirt, you'll see a bananas hat, and everybody say, oh, Savannah bananas. You know, and, you know, I hate to say what they need to do there at Old Field. You don't want to put the money into it, but fix it up, screw it up, fix the grass, fix the fix the stadium. I mean, they can do things to make that better. And I'm telling you right now, if they don't, I don't think he will do this because I think Jesse Cole and Emily Cole are in love with that old rackety, rickety old stadium. They're not going to run away from it. But, you know, this team has done so much. I mean, 4,000 people every night in that stadium. When, when and then they play their banana ball. They packed house. There's six more games to go. They're all sold out. You can't get a ticket. What more do you want, Savannah? The city of Savannah, the government of Savannah. You got something that's special, and it's going crazy throughout uh, the world. I mean, they're going to do a special August 19th on Banana Land. How many teams in Savannah have ever had that? Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. But So what are you saying? The, the city of Savannah needs to invest more in the in, in fixing up like Grayson Stadium, not on the field, like the actual stadium portion of it? They sure do. They don't have to spend, uh, you know, the Mets, okay? Don't get me wrong. I, I, I love the Mets. I, I, I really grew up loving the Mets, but I turned to the Yankees once they got rid of my favorite player. But the Mets the Mets wanted just the, the building to be updated, to, to make it a little more, um, uh, you know, player-friendly. And, and City of Savannah said, no, we're not doing that. Now they got something that's more special than having a major league franchise in your city. And don't blow the opportunity to keep these, keep this team here, to keep this organization here, because it's putting Savannah on the map in the world of sports. We don't have a major league team here. We don't have a major league uh, or an NFL football. Yes, we're getting a minor league hockey that's team that's associated with uh, you know the Las Vegas Golden Knights. That's great. But you have a team that has no affiliation with any big-time uh, organization, sporting organization, doing what they do. And you got to throw, throw them a bone. I'm telling you right now, uh, you know, Travis, what they did to this team, to get this team to stay, they took certain things away. They they said, you got to take care of the field and all this other stuff. You can only do so much. You need the help. And, uh, you know, then the city said, okay, we'll come out and help you. And, you know, to me, being a baseball fanatic, that field is so worn down that it needs better upkeep. And it's not the bananas' fault because they're trying to get kids in there. They're trying to get fans in there. Yeah. You know, the city's got to take some kind of responsibility. It really. Well, does. I agree. And I think that, you know, a dangerous thing that the city might be doing, I don't know this. I'm just thinking out loud here. Their contract, the current five-year lease from the bananas, ends in October, it's September 1st. 
2025, I believe. Right. Um, and right. if Savannah this, and Jesse Cole and the Bananas and Fan First Entertainment would have to alert the city if they want to renew for another five years within 120 days of September 1st, 2025. So you think, right. okay, spring 25, that's roughly three years from now. If Savannah is going to wait that long to do something to entice the bananas to stay, you're playing with fire because, man, could you imagine being the, the mayor or the city councilman or council ladies, council peoples that, that, <laughs> that are responsible for the bananas leaving Savannah? You don't want that on your resume because that will cause an uproar. The, when the Sandnats left, it was sort of spun. And I think, you know, I don't hold it against the city of Savannah, but it was spun like the greedy hardball capital and the greedy sand Nats want a brand new stadium. And how dare them think that they they deserve this when really all they were saying was, hey, Columbia is offering us this. Can't can't can you match this? That's a reasonable thing to do. But they were sort of made to be the bad guys. Boy, there will be no chance of them being able to spin it to where the bananas look like the bad guys if that ever happens. Um, and I think that, you know, they're going to have to answer some questions about Grayson Stadium sooner rather than later. Um, I mean... Okay, well, here's, here's my two counterpoints, go ahead, go ahead. okay? Which are probably uh, not counterpoints, but they agree with what you're saying, okay? <sighs> okay, let, let, let's start first with losing Savannah Bananas. Look at the world tour that they did this year. They went to six cities, Every city wanted that team in their stadium. Major League Baseball cut out, what, over 41 minor league franchises. Those 41 cities would love, would love to have the Savannah Bananas in their stadium. Of course, it wouldn't be Savannah Bananas. They'd have to change the name to something Bananas. But right now, that's the thing. They don't know how, well, I feel the city doesn't, the city government doesn't realize how many people want this show, how many people want this team in their town because they're going to bring life to that town. They're going to make it fun to go to a baseball game. You know, I hate to say it. I used to love going to Savannah Sandak games. I used to love to go to Savannah Cardinal games. But you know what? It was boring. There was nobody there. You're lucky if you had 400, 500 people. What this team, what this organization, what Jesse Cole and Fan First has done, they rejuvenated something that Savannah has always supported since what, 1923? Yeah. And, you know, they, they they sell the place out. It's just something else. And the second point is, there's, they, you know, it, it, they got to realize there's not going to be anybody coming in to take their place. There's not going to be another fan-first company to come in and do what this group is doing for this, you know, the Savannah community. Yeah, of course, they're making their money. They're very successful, but it took a lot of hard work. And what are they doing? They're making that old historic stadium alive and you know it's going to be alive and hopefully i'll be here to see it never end but you never know what's going to happen because everything is about the money they didn't want to pay you know even you know i don't know how true it is but the mets organization was just asking them to put in a new clubhouse behind i don't know the right field fence so when the players come they had somewhere nice to go they would have uh you know the savannah uh, the, the savannah uh, the savannah Senators were taking a uniform across the street and watching him in the laundry yeah. mat. I mean, that's how bad it was. The the locker room would flood, you know, and Jeff has put some money into that building also. I mean, I remember before we got in there where their officers are now, that was an old, dirty, old little 
storage garage or a storage Yeah, garage. I used to work on so, the grounds crew at the Sand Nats, and that where the offices are now for the Bananas was like a little hallway that wasn't air conditioned, and it had like uh, it's where we kept the turf and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know they've also done some up, up, upkeep or some uh, renovations to that stadium, but the city needs to step up and help help this not help this team, but help Savannah keep this team because. You don't know, they don't realize how much it means to a lot of people and a lot of people across the United States are just loving it. And, you know, last point, banana ball. It's exciting. It's fun. Two hour time limit. It's a different sort of baseball game, but people are loving it. And all my words, this is not the first time I'm going to say this, but don't be surprised if uh, Mr. Jesse Cole becomes commissioner of banana ball and you're going to have at least 10 different cities or 10 different areas that lost minor league baseball with teams just like this doing the same thing they're doing and people loving it yeah i look the on the banana ball point and for those who don't know i think most people listening realize this but banana ball essentially is those kinds of rules that are artificially put in place the two-hour time limits the no bunting um the if you step out of the batter's box it's a strike i think it's every every inning there's a winner so whoever wins the inning gets a point, right? right? So, so yes, it's those kind of rules. What I don't like about that is, is that I've heard and read quotes from the Bananas, maybe not from Jesse Cole, but from the Bananas front office about how we, they don't feel the need to differentiate the marketing for when the Bananas play the party animals, it's marketed sort of the same way where they're not really stressing that this is different than the Coastal Plain League. And I do think that that's probably not doing the Coastal Plain League roster and players and coaches enough justice because what they do and what they've done the last two seasons, three times, three titles overall, that is really special that they win those championships in regular nine-inning baseball. Okay, So people that think that it's all a charade all year round, it is not. Like There are, there are fights, there are brawls. Those guys take it very seriously during those two or three months. And so I do think that there, it does need to be stressed that those are two different things, banana ball and the Coastal Plain League season. But other than that, man, I mean, I, I can't think of But any- hold it. Okay, hold it now. But hold it now. You, you and I are, are both baseball fanatics. But when I was growing up, we would go out and play and make up these rules, okay? Two-minute, two-hour two time limits or, or – or, or, uh, the, the pitcher couldn't step off the run, or we couldn't bunt, or we had to hit to half the field, or we had to run the bases backwards. Yeah. I mean, these are things we did as kids to make the game fun. And, you know, that's what Jesse Cole is doing. He's taking it one step further to make the game fun for people that find baseball boring. Now, you and I will never find it boring. I'll take a one nothing game with 19 strikeouts versus a 21-10 game, Okay. It, because we're baseball purists, we understand the game. We, it's a thinking man's game. It's it's a, but what they do here at Annabelle is they're taking something as we were kids to make the game a little more fun. But we didn't, we couldn't play nine versus nine, you know? What right. I mean? So it's a different concept. If it's a different game, but it's still making a lot of people come back and say, you know what? Baseball is fun. It's not really as boring as I thought it would be. And that's what we got the regular game of baseball. Like uh, last night. Dodgers against the uh, Padres. Soto was mic'd up. What's his name? Keyshawn Johnson on, on national radio this morning saying, oh, I hate that. How can he do that in the game? You know, 
I loved it. I want to know what the guy's thinking. You know, the bananas do that on the field also. That makes it fun. Yeah. That makes me, what is, what is Soto, Juan Soto thinking out there in left field, you know, when the home run was in, stay in, stay in, stay, stay, stay here, stay in. I mean, that makes it fun, but baseball's got to also add some fun to it. I don't mean change the rules drastically and all this other stuff, but they got to make it fun for the fans too. You know, three and a half hours, four hour games, uh, $15 for a beverage, uh, $8 for a hot dog. I mean, come on. You, you got you to gotta help the fans out here sooner it's or later. The, and and the individual networks, too, it's different than the NFL in terms of the NFL is CBS and Fox and NBC, whereas baseball, man, you some, some of the some cable providers, you cannot find the Braves playing on Bally Sports. It's right. got to go on a treasure hunt. And it's whereas the NFL, man, you would have to try not to find right. the NFL. And so that hurts the viewership numbers, too. For me, the baseball thing is like Jesse Cole, you know, saying that there's all these things wrong with baseball. I, I understand that. But I don't think that banana ball, as it's currently instituted, has any chance of overtaking regular baseball. But it does have a chance of becoming its own thing. And that, right. to oh, me, would be... Yeah, that to me is the avenue that I, they're obviously a hundred times smarter when it comes to this stuff. But like that is the, you know, difference, I would say, in that, you know, it's not replacing baseball. So for baseball purists to get up in arms about it, it's, that's not the goal, I don't think. It's, it's a separate thing entirely. But just, just think about those 40, 40 little towns, those 40 little cities that don't have baseball anymore. Right. You put in something like banana ball, they're going to be loving it. So, you know, we could battle on it. We could say, but you know what? People want to be entertained. And, you know, if I'm spending $300 at a uh, Atlanta Brave game and it's only my wife, my wife, myself, and, it, you know, there's got to be there's got to be something that makes that three hundred dollars worth it. OK, you know, but for me, it's, you know, watching the game and the die. I do my scorebook and everything else. But I mean, there was one family in front of us. The mother said to the father, uh, we went to the Braves game against the Mets. The, 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 the only Braves game the Mets won up there. Uh, the, the only Braves game the Braves beat the Mets. And I mean, there was like five of them in front of us. And the husband goes, you know, we're already four hundred fifty dollars tonight. I mean, you know, it's crazy. It's crazy. So, but that's for another day. So let's keep on going. So, yes, congratulations to Bananas, Coastal Plain League, real baseball, and they just do a great job. Three, three titles in six years. You gotta love it. You gotta love it. That's a great place to end. Well, hey, I, I wanted to ask you quickly: um, who is on First Base Baseball podcast that you do with Kyle Lawson? Um, our listeners know it, obviously. Uh, how have you? How have you liked that? Doing that with him again regularly? Because I know. You know, with COVID and everything, and you, you guys started doing that, man, back when it was on regular radio. Um, how, how have you liked doing the podcast thing with him? Because I, I know Spencer and I always ask other people that are doing podcasts, like, sort of what their thoughts are, what they're thinking. Um, so I wanted to ask you that. I don't, I don't know if I've ever asked you that. Like, the process of planning an episode and getting together uh, with another person and recording, like, is that something that you've enjoyed or is it, you know, Oh, it's, you know, you know, like I said, 50,000 times talking about the bands. I love baseball. Kyle Lawson, the baseball fanatic, who also is the voice for the Savannah Clovers when they start playing their uh, playing their games coming up soon. But uh, I mean, I'm I'm the guy that wants to make it fun. I'm the guy that wants to joke around. Kyle is straightforward. I mean, I've never seen a guy come to a show with a, uh, a loose leaf notebook or a spiral notebook and have 50 pages of notes. He knows <laughs> 
stuff. And that's what makes it fun. I don't know everything. You know, I, I blunder and stumble and I mispronounce names. He gets me back on track. But we work well with each other. <clears throat> and this was way back in 2017. He was doing a, a show for ESPN Savannah called uh, St. Andrews, the Lions Den, highlighting their program every week. And I was doing, of course, the Call of the Master Sports Sport. I was doing the Chatham County uh, Public School Sports Sport. And uh, we got, you know, we got to thinking, let's do a baseball show. So we approached the uh, salesperson at that time. He took it to the boss, and it just took off. And it's a lot of fun. We've been doing it since 2017. And, uh, you know, back then we were only doing it like five, six times a year. Now we do it every week. And, it, you know, it keeps me into the game. I mean, he's just got a plethora of knowledge, a lot of fun. But I try to come up with the angles with – not. let's talk about – uh, you know, the uh, NL East and how many uh, games the Mets are up. Let's make a long little fun, like, uh, you know, uh, who's on, who's for sale and who's buying. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, your top player that you think is going to be, uh, you know, an all-star or who's going to be the rookie of the year. So we add something into it on everything, uh, you know, baseball, you know, chopping on the Braves, we try to dig deep into the Braves. And of course, bananas. And we talk about the guys. And of course, the trivia part is a lot of fun. When we first started doing that, it went too long. It was, you know, it took up most of the podcast, so we cut it down to two questions each. But you know, it's a lot of fun because it, you know, it, it's interesting researching, uh, researching the trivia, and we never know what each other is going to ask. What, where is our trivia going? So, you know, last week it just happened to be that we both chose, of course, Vince Scully. Okay, so we both chose, uh, you know, trivia on baseball announcers. So, uh, you know, it just worked way out. So, uh, you know, it's a lot of fun. I enjoy it. So. Uh, you know, I hope people listen. I hope they enjoy it too. And, you know, it's a good 40 minutes and we're in and out and it's it's a lot of fun every week. Yeah, it's a good way for, the, just to plug it real quick, it's a good way for people that, you know, want to know about all of baseball, but they, you know, you guys focus on the Braves, but you're touching basically the whole league as right. a whole every week. And so it's a good way to sort of like get caught up on the previous six days, um, but right. also like from a Braves angle. And so, because Spencer and I are talking majority Braves, probably 90% of our baseball talk is Braves. And so that is a good way to at least keep up with the rest of the league. Um, So you can find that on Podbean and on Carl's Facebook page as well. Um, Carl, what else do we want to plug? Hey, buddy, you also can find it on TuneIn Radio. That's right, TuneIn, TuneIn. All right, what else do we want to plug, Carl? Your show on Saturday mornings. um, Yeah, every Saturday morning. I've been doing it since 2010, the Carl Damasi Sports Report. Uh, you know, I've told, well, maybe coach, you want to change. No, I'm not going to change. It's going to be the call to my sports board. I focus on local sports. I focus on local guests. I focus on highlighting a, a high school kid or, or a, a youth athlete as my athlete of the week. And it's a lot of fun. You know, John Henderson, coach's corner. You got to love it. The man loves sports. He loves, uh, you know, supporting us and, you know, rubbing and grub the whole thing off. And I, I approached him when I couldn't get back on the radio. I said, John, let me do my show in his town garden. And, you know, We'll go from there. And then I got the brainstorm. Well, let's just call it the Coach's Corner Sports Network. And then we added uh, the 19th. We added the two podcasts with uh, Hot Grids Podcast and, of course, the Who's on Base, uh, Who's on First Base Baseball Podcast. So it's a lot of fun. And John loves his sports. And, uh, you know, rubbing and grubbing with Brandon Bain and Lawrence Bennett. They, I mean, I don't. there's another guy. I got Kyle Lawson and you with the baseball uh, information. I mean, Brandon Bain, I don't know how he knows. And he's also a pretty big baseball buff from what I understand. So it's just a lot of fun doing it in the coach's corner and uh, talking sports with all the people that are involved in it. What Brandon Bain does on NASCAR is so crazy. And Carl, I know you can yeah. appreciate this. Like you're solo on your Saturday show, 
but at least, but you have it sort of segmented and you're at least bringing on guests. Right. And so you kind of can move your way right. through the show. What Brandon does every week to talk NASCAR by himself, the talent that that takes and, and the knowledge that that takes. Oh, yeah. Because you can do it, sure, but but it's going to be boring. But the way the oh, way yeah. he does it is anything but. And, you know, you talked about Kyle Lawson doing all of his notes and stuff. Brandon, it seems like, is the exact opposite, man. He's just loose right before. Not He's not looking down at his notes. Nothing, man. Just all off the top. He's got producer Larry there behind, producer Lawrence there behind the mic. Um, so, yeah, they, they're the OG on the Coach's Corner Sports Network, I guess, rubbing and grubbing this. They are. You know, it's funny. Brandon Bain doesn't bring any notes up yeah. there. It's it's all in his head. I'm serious because you've been up there. I've been up there. I followed him when I used to do every Wednesday night. And the man has nothing in front of him except what Lawrence scripts out. And this is the seconds we're doing it. And Brandon goes from there. You know, Lawrence throws some notes in there for him, too. So, you know, they're both uh, big NASCAR fans. So Lawrence Bennett, the producer, and also probably writes some stuff on those sheets. But there's not a lot on the sheets. So, you know, the man knows his stuff. All right, Carl. Well, man, I appreciate you spending so much time with me. Uh, Spencer is going to have to be worried you're going to replace him here on the Hot Grits podcast. No, 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 no. There, there's, there's something about YouTube Hot Grits podcast that I'm not going to be able to do. You know, you guys keep it a little adultish, which is a lot of fun to listen to. Me, you know, I, I, you know, I'm conservative. I'm going to be straightforward and keep it where everybody can listen. But you guys get it, which is a lot of fun to listen to. You go off tangent and you talk about other stuff, not just the, uh, you know, sports, but it's related to the show, which is a lot of fun too. And uh, all right, quick question: Who's the better golfer, you or him? Well, if I'm getting strokes. No, no, no strokes. <laughs> uh, I think Spencer's got me on that one. He certainly has a lot of practice on the golf course. <laughs> well, every time you turn around, he's not doing the podcast. He's on the golf course. Hey, you said it, not me, Carl. <laughs> All right, hey, here's what we're going to do to close out the show. I'm going to get you to say his role. So I'm going to say stay safe, and then you're going to do the piece. Oh, I'm going to do peace. That's why I say Yeah, peace. so get ready, all right? Well, you know, I can always peace out, baby. <laughs> all right, here we go. Stay safe. Wash your hands, you filthy animals. And peace out.
commercial and residential electrical services that you can trust. Braddy Electric is Savannah's number one electrical services for commercial and residentials since 1970. It's family owned and family operated. Reach them today at 912-233-1561 or 1104 East 35th Street. Braddy Electric, that's two D's, B-R-A-D-D-Y. Five stars on Yelp, five stars on Google reviews, and Savannah's number one electrical servicer since 1970. Call them today, 912-233-1561. Thank you.